God. Hallelujah. Man, what a great men's group. I enjoyed this uh, great Father's Day celebration so far. Glad to have each and every one in the house of the Lord today. Fathers, amen. Thank you for being here. I know your son, your daughter really appreciates it. And uh, I'm going to touch on that very fact this morning. But if you're not a father, but if you're a grandfather, you're in the picture as well. Grandfathers are very important too. My father wasn't in my life, but my grandfather was, and so was my uncle. I had others that filled that spot. Praise God. But grandpas, mm, they're special. And I am one to five kids. And you know the saying, fathers know a lot, but grandpas know everything. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm not giving that up. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So glad to have all of you in the house of the Lord. And if it's your first time, we welcome you. We hope that you come back. And if you've been a long time since you've been here, don't make it a habit. Come more often. Amen. You're always welcome. And we're here together, not because we're perfect, but we are here to get perfected. Amen. And we do that day by day. Line by line, precept upon precept. And God is working on all of us. He's not done with us yet. Amen. Praise God. Well, I have a special uh, message here for our fathers today. And I speak to myself and I speak uh, to me as a grandfather as well. And, uh, and then parents in general. I know uh, we have many single parents here as well. And uh, uh, take heart and take courage. Uh, you fill an important role and a very important role to your children. I want to begin this morning by reading to you two scriptures. First of all, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 from the New Testament, a very important admonition to all fathers. And here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. In other words, don't make them angry. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers do that. Fathers bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going back to the Old Testament because I'm going to be talking a lot about Joshua. And I'll bring it up again in Ephesians 6. Because the story of Joshua has a lot to do with what I'm going to be talking about this morning, and that's talking about exceptional fathers. Exceptional fathers, who they are, what they do, and why we call them exceptional fathers, why I call them exceptional. In Joshua chapter 1, we read with verse 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. Everybody say, Joshua, the son of Nun. Between the book of Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, the Bible refers to Joshua as the son of Nun over 30 times. 30 times it mentions Joshua, son of Nun. And yet very little is written about Nun. But the two were always put together. And that's what I want to speak on this morning. Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' minister saying, reading down to verse 5, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now God is speaking. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, and I said, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And note this last phrase that God tells Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee and not 
forsake thee. That's the heavenly father talking right there. Praise God. Joshua, the son of Nun, exceptional father. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the many examples of exceptional fathers you have given us from whom we can learn much that we can apply to our families, to our lives, oh God, that we may indeed learn to be better fathers and better grandfathers and better influencers of our families, our children, oh Lord. God, let this word go forth and, re forth and resonate in each and every heart and each and every soul. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. I let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Fathers are important. And we honor them today. Countless studies indicate that the absence of fathers has a devastating effect on the family, without question. Criminal activity, delinquency in minors, suicide, depression, drug and alcohol abuse, and even teen pregnancy occurs in much higher frequency when a father is absent from the home. Those are statistics proven time and time again through the last five or six decades. Over 70% of long-term inmates in incarcerated prisons grew up in broken homes without the father being present in their lives. Children raised without the influence of a father have two to three times more likeliness to have behavioral and psychological problems than those that have dads present in their life. And adult women that feel that they have been somehow neglected or abandoned by their fathers exhibit a greater tendency toward promiscuity in their adult life than any other. Dad, the point is that despite of what the world says about you and how insignificant you are and that women, mothers don't need you, they need you very much. More than that, your children need you very much. God established a family. He knows what's best for all of us. And he wired us to grow up in a, an intact family with a mother and father. Now, that's the ideal. And I know things happen and, and sin is rampant in the world. And when, when Adam and Eve were, were first created by God as the first man and woman and man and wife, amen, then sin came on the scene when they rebelled against God. Then sin changed everything. And that sin changes the equation. As a result, we have many divorces, many families crumbling and falling apart. And many times fathers aren't there. And many times they were victims of the devil and his schemes. And we're not ignorant of his devices. And in the church, we fight that spirit from the world and those tendencies that try to divide spouses and try to divide family members because that's what he does best. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is his uh, his, his objective to get to God through his work, through his creation, and try to destroy you and I. But we are not ignorant of his devices, and, and so we, we must be wise in the word of God. Now look at a Joshua, the son of Nun. I want to talk to you dads especially about this rather obscure father, Nun. And his name was Nun, and his kind of lives up to his name. None is known about him. Very little is known about him. Anyway. But, but his name is Nun, N-U-N. N-U-N, the father of Joshua. Some scholars think that, that Nun died in Egypt uh, before the great exodus, and uh, he was the father of, of uh, Joshua. Uh, and then when he died, that Moses became his surrogate father, Joshua's surrogate father. Certainly he was his spiritual father and spiritual mentor, just like Paul was to Timothy in the New Testament. And so when we look at Joshua, we have to wonder who he was. Many don't know him. I'm sure uh, some of you have heard the Bible stories and maybe even heard the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Amen. That's about all they may know about him. But uh, he was, Joshua was the son of Nun. And we do know that Joshua, the son of Nun, was born in Egypt and he witnessed all the great miracles through which God delivered his people from Egypt and from Egyptian slavery. But we can conclude from Joshua and from what the Bible tells us uh, in connection with his dad. He always says, Joshua, the son of Nun, that there's something important about Nun that they always wanted 
the, the world to know. God wanted you and I to know that Joshua was connected with his father, Nun. Amen. And he must have been a great father. Uh, you, know, it's, you know the saying that says the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And it was the same in this particular case because uh, Joshua became a giant of a man. And he was a, a great young man who, passed, who possessed those virtues which, which are usually passed along by fathers. It's faith and courage and loyalty and humility and respect. Many of these things. I'm focused on a father's. I mean, I know mothers do a lot of those things that we addressed at a mother's day. And mothers teach a lot of things to their kids. I'm talking about exceptional fathers. I'm talking about godly fathers. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's these things that they teach. And I would quickly hasten to add that, that values of this kind are not so much taught as they are caught. You can teach it, but you've got to model it. And the only way that a child can catch these values is by you spending time with them. It's by letting them help you. It's by letting them be with you. Letting them be around you. That's the way that they can catch those values that you possess. Amen. Now, we know that none had to be a religious man. He was a man of faith and very much aware of the promises that God made to Abraham. And, uh, and we see that just simply by the name that Nun gave to Joshua. In fact, his given name was Hosea, <clears throat> means salvation. And later, Moses changed Joshua's name, Hosea, to Joshua. I'll get there to a minute. But understand this. In Egypt, while Israel was still laboring under slavery, there was no Bible. The Bible was not yet written. It's going to be written after Israel exits from Egypt and Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There is no Bible. All they have is a verbal tradition that was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 tribes who now grew up in, in a, as a family of 70, grew in Egypt to about one and a half to two and a half million people. And many of them kept the faith. Many of them abandoned circumcision, the seal and sign of the covenant that Abraham made with God. But as many Jewish fathers, none who was a man of faith expressed that faith by the naming of his son. Hosea means salvation. Now understand that Joshua seemed to have been born sometime when Moses was still the prince of Egypt or he left after he killed that Egyptian uh, uh, taskmaster and he revealed himself to be a Hebrew to his own people. And when the people found out that Moses was Hebrew and not, not Egyptian, it just like wildfire went through the camp and through the people. Could he be the deliverer? Could he be the one that takes us out of here? But when he left and another 40 years passes, amen. They were still longing for deliverance. But I get this idea, hallelujah. Brother Brian, I just can't help but think that none was knowing what the time on the calendar was. But he thought back in the book of Genesis uh, when God had this discussion with Abraham of how the Israelites, uh, the descendants of Jacob, are going to be afflicted in a foreign land. And this is what it says in Genesis 15, 13, and 14. That's Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. And he said, this is God said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed, your descendants, shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom, I, whom they shall serve will I judge and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. You see, by the time Joshua was born, it was coming towards that 400-year mark. And none who is a man of faith said, it's time to go. It's getting close. Hallelujah. God said 400 years. We have been here about that time. And I really believe that God's going to deliver us. So he names his son, Hosea, that is salvation. Surely our deliverance, surely our salvation is going to come soon. And I'm telling you, as none said that about Joshua back then, our salvation, Jesus, Yahashua, is coming soon. He promised it, and he's coming back. Can you say praise the Lord? 
But Joshua uh, received such great things from, from this man. And his father had great hopes for him. Amen. And like many Jewish fathers, he, he thought that maybe, just maybe, he might turn out to be the Messiah. And, and indeed, he may be that deliverer or the savior of Israel. And now Joshua, we know, didn't become that Messiah, but he certainly lived up to the expectations of his dad, even beyond those expectations. Amen. Because he became a great man. Hallelujah. I believe that none felt that indeed Jesus, or rather Moses, or the deliverance it's coming soon. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so naming his son, it revealed that, uh, that, that none had this great uh, characteristic of godly fatherhood, and that's affirmation. Understand that not everybody can affirm their child by simply naming them. But in a Jewish culture, in a Jewish mindset, uh, a lot of their characteristics, a lot of their traits are associated with the meaning of their name. And so uh, as God moved upon none and as he had his walk with God, he, 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 he named his son uh, uh, Salvation. And it was really an expression of his faith and his expectation. But it was really an expression of affirmation to him. Son, I believe in you. I believe that God's got something great for you. I believe God's going to do something great with you and through you. And I'm going to name you Salvation because somehow, way, God's going to use you to deliver our people. Amen. And that's really what affirmation in one part really means. It is positive assertion. It is encouragement. It is approval and support. Amen. And so I indeed believe that, that Joshua fulfilled his father's expectation because we read in, in, in Numbers chapter 13 verse 8 that, that Joshua became one of the princes, a ruler of the tribe of Ephraim. And by commandment of God, he was one of the 12 spies sent to explore the land of Canaan. Now, those 12 spies, you know, when they came to Kadesh Barnea and, and Moses sent the 12 spies out to the promised land to, to check it out, to see indeed if it was the, uh, living up to or the name and this label of a promise of flown with milk and honey, meaning it's plentiful, it's, it's a great place to live. Amen. When the spies were sent out, they weren't just ordinary men. The Bible says uh, in Numbers 13 that there were chosen men. They were already rulers and princes in their tribes. Joshua became a ruler and a prince, so to speak, a ruler of the tribe of Ephraim. Now, if you know anything about the tribe of Ephraim, is their descendants of Joseph through one of his sons, Ephraim. Amen. And they became the largest tribe of all of the 12 tribes of Israel. They settled the northern borderlands of, of Israel, and, and they were the mightiest. They, were, they, they uh, could put forth the largest army of all of the Israeli tribes. And in fact, Ephraim's reputation was so large that, that the entire northern sector of Israel was called, referred to as Ephraim instead of going down tribe by tribe when they wanted to refer to a, a region. That's the tribe that Joshua was the leader of as a young man. And he was already that kind of a leader when he was sent out as a spy to spy out the promised land. Amen. And it's interesting that in the same chapter in Numbers 13, 16, as Moses sent him out, Moses changed his name from Hosea to Yahashua. It means Jehovah is your salvation. Jehovah is your salvation. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. And so this given name, Hosea, salvation, was changed by Moses to Yahashua, means Jehovah's salvation. Now think what kind of a great affirmation that was to Moses, or rather to Joshua, from his spiritual mentor, Moses. Amen. His dad named him Hosea, Hosea, salvation. Here Moses, the great leader of God that comes to deliver Israel, amen, and all the things that he did in miracles, signs, and wonders, he renames him renames him Yahashua. What affirmation that is. But it's just kind of reminding Joshua, look, when you go to the promised land, and from now on, as you're walking with us and God's leading us, remember that Jehovah is always our salvation. It's not you, it's not flesh and blood, it's not the arm of man, it's not the sword of man, but it's the sword of the Lord. Amen. It is Jehovah our God. Amen. And Jehovah is going to deliver us, and he will save us. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Amen. So it's important to, to note that both these men, Nun and Moses, the father and the spiritual father, 
expected great things from Joshua simply by the names that they had given him. Now, we have to learn that there are three things that exceptional fathers do that we can see from the Bible. Three keys there are that exceptional fathers use to influence their children in the right way. It's the great way to unlock a child's resident potential in them. One of the first keys of, 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 of great exceptional fatherhood is godly affirmation. I'm coming back to that. Godly affirmation. Not just affirmation. Hey, man, it's affirmation. Godly affirmation. It's the expression of love. It's affection by word, by touch, by kindness, by good deeds, by gifts, and by giving of yourself. Not just to your child, really, but to others. Godly affirmation does that. It's encouraging. It's giving. Amen. It is, it is building them up. Godly affirmation is recognizing and openly expressing the value of someone, especially for your child. This is why Proverbs 17, 6 tells us uh, a very important principle. Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory, and the other translations, the pride of children are their fathers. The pride of children are their fathers. Fathers are important in the eyes of the children. They long to hear a father's affirmation to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I know I say that just about every baby dedication that we have. Amen. Because I'm going to drill it into every man, uh, every uh, uh, young person. Because one day you're going to be a father, maybe. Hallelujah. If the Lord tarries. But if you're going to be a father, you're going to have to know how to be a godly father. And godly fathers uh, have to understand that their child looks up to them. Uh, he look up to them. They're proud of them. They want to be proud of their parents. They want to be proud of their fathers and they're longing for their affirmation because of this great value that they place upon their dads. Amen. So they want to hear, I love you. I am proud of you. And by saying that, fathers, you are not only recognizing but adding value to that child. I said you're adding value. It's they feel important. They feel valuable simply because of what you're saying to them. Amen. Now, I have to quickly qualify and say affirmation, godly affirmation is not simply flattery. Flattery is a consolation prize. It's, it's something that is mostly undeserved for, undeserved for really achieving or doing nothing. Okay? There's, there's a time when you should affirm someone when they have achieved something. If they haven't, yes, you can encourage them, but you don't have to flatter them. Amen. That kind of flattery really undergirds, their, uh, undergirds their, their, their lack of self-respect. They know that they don't deserve it. Adults the more, and children, when they grow older, more, they know that they don't deserve that affirmation. Or they don't deserve that, that compliment or that flattery. Amen. So uh, it, it, it results, that kind of flattery results in this diminished self-respect. But an affirmation at the right time, when they do the right thing, Hallelujah, adds value to them and encourages them and undergirds that self-respect, that healthy self-respect that they have to have, have to have. Amen. Praise God. And so, although we see that none passed from Joshua's life early on, Moses was with Joshua as he grew into man and he became the captain of the host of all of Israel. Not just Ephraim. When they get to Kaddish Barnian, and when they, uh, when they get to fight with, with the first uh, battle they've had with the Amalekites, we see Moses calls Joshua in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 13. We see that Moses sent Joshua to lead all the armies of Israel. Now, mind you, this is the first time that, that the Israelites had to do real battle. They just were 400 years in slaves. I don't know if they had swords or what kind of weapons they had, but they never had an organized army until now. In fact, the Malachites, as they came out of Egypt, uh, attacked them in the rear where the elderly were, where the children were, and, uh, and they were very much disadvantaged and very much unexpectedly, uh, this tribe, the Malachites, descendants of Esau, attacked, attacked Israel. And the battle took all day long. I mean, it was, it was a, a drawn-out battle, at least for that day, and, uh, and, and it was dire. But you know what Moses told Joshua? says, Choose men that you want to go with you to fight and go and fight against Amalek. 
And I'm going to go up to that mountaintop, Joshua. And I'm going to hold that rod in my hand that I performed all those miracles in Egypt. And I'm going to hold my rod up. And I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be watching you. In fact, I'm taking two prayer partners with me, Aaron and her. We're all going up there. We're going to watch how you do. Hallelujah. Amen. Can you just picture this? Amen. The spiritual father up in the stands, up in the bleachers. Amen. Watching this young man. Amen. This, 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 uh, this, this great leader of, a, of the host of Israel fighting against Amalek uh, and, and, and sends unprepared. And they're just slaves now, but free, but now fighting for their liberty more than ever before. But imagine what kind of feeling that must have put inside of Joshua as he went out to battle. Knowing that your spiritual father is watching you. He's behind me and he's going to be holding me up in prayer. Amen. And so while Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And you know, as his hands sagged, then Israel started to lose. He got tired. And so Aaron and Hur, they got the big rock, put it under him. He sat down and they held up his hand. And they were, they were praying and held his hand up until the victory was won that day. Praise the Lord. Amen. You see, the point is this. Dads, when you use godly affirmation, encourage your children, you're going to be setting them up for the victories of life. There's going to be a lot of battles in their life. If you can just encourage them, if you can just keep praying for them, amen, if they would just know and let them know that, hey, I'm watching you, I'm behind you, I'm praying for you, amen, just keep on keeping on, it's all right, life is going to have this not hard knocks, but I'm behind you, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, and so he was affirming his child's behavior, his spiritual child, and every, every person needs that. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, fathers, parents, something that you already know, that there's a desire in the heart of every child to be important in the eyes of his parent. Every child wants to be important in your eyes. And you know what? When they grow older and when they grow up, it doesn't go away. You still want parent in your life. I've noticed several clips I've seen. Maybe you have two on Facebook. And I, I like those shorts, those clips. And I just recently saw a little girl on stage. And the mom was there. And it's a big auditorium. And, and she was just standing there, shoulder so just kind of nervous and distraught. And then she, her eye catches her dad. That he's there. And she just breaks down, Mom, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. I wish I could show you one after another, one cup after another, or what that does in the mind and heart of a child. When you show up, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. Just be there. Child feels, I'm important because Daddy's here. Hallelujah. And it's the same thing when your child does something in school or he's involved in something important. When it's graduation or they have some kind of sporting event, soccer, football, whatever it is. Hey, man, but they want that affirmation and that desire and that feeling. It just, it just doesn't go away. See, we have need this, this, we have this need to, to have a parent in our lives. Parents who we could share our ups and downs with the joys and our sorrows and all the challenges that we go through. All my parents are dead and gone now. I miss them. Even though I didn't spend as much time with them as, as people do in a normal family. I miss my wife's mom. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. She was such a jewel. Amen. But I enjoyed talking with her. And I, I, I enjoyed talking to my dad about a lot of things. Although, he, again, I didn't grow up with them. They were refugees and left our country and didn't see them for five years. And, and it, was, it was a hard thing. I, I didn't think so at the time. And I really weathered it well. That's not the point. And I'm not trying to belabor that. Uh, he was a good man. And, I, and but just my mom and dad just weren't there. And then we, we were brought up by our grandparents. And they really filled the gap. They did a great job. But even as grownups then, as grownups, I, I had this, this desire, you know, 
to share with my dad, you know, what I'm doing, where I'm at. He wanted to know. Now, he came to see me many times. Yeah, we, uh, it was hard for us to keep in touch. He was on the other side of the world, and I'm here. And even when we were missionaries in Europe, he was up in Denmark, and I, well, we were down in Hungary, and, you know, that's a 24-hour drive. And uh, back then, early on, there's the borders and having to go through all those, you know, territory. It, it, was, it was a mess, especially when you're older, like my dad was. It, it's not an easy trip to make, and flying was really out of the question. But the bottom line is, is that, as with me, and I know with, with many others in this auditorium, Maybe your parents are already gone. Maybe, maybe they're still here. Value them. Talk to them. Reach out to them. Because you will miss them when they're gone. But while you have your children, make the most of that time that you have with them. Because they're looking to you for affirmation. They're looking for a connection. Amen. We need more of these parents to be encouragers in our lives. We need more parents and especially fathers to encourage their children. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a story out by, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, Jordan Peterson. I think he's got several books out, a clinical psychologist, Canadian, and gave up his, his professorship because of uh, all the idiocy going on in education systems and all the changes. And he's, uh, he's very much a traditionalist in many ways. Uh, but, but he's made a lot of commentary and topics on marriage, on children, and, and fathers, mothers, and so on, and marriage in a traditional sense. And, and he made this statement that, that, that kids are very eager to have a relationship with their parents, fathers in particular. But you only have 18 years to do that. In fact, each year represents about 5% of their time that you would have available to really maximize that and, and have a relationship with them. After they reach the age of 18, you only have 10% of time left because they go out on their own, they begin to work, they have establishing their own families, and, and they go all over the world, they travel, they don't stay in one place, and you will only have about 10% of time left that will be available to have some kind of a relationship with them. So he said, make the most of it. Amen. Make the most of it. Take the time, amen, to spend time with them. Amen. I, I remember in my early days of, of fatherhood, uh, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we had uh, in Budapest as missionaries, now we had in our one home, we had this field, a, a closed-in cement field, not very big, probably about one-third the size of the sanctuary and all fenced in. And I'd take my kids out there where they were little, and we'd play soccer. You know, we had no real goals, but we had one side or the other. And I'd go out there, and I'd take all three kids on. And, then I'd, and, I'd, and they'd try to get the ball away. We played out there for, I, I can't tell you how long. We kicked the ball around, and they'd try to get me. And they were screaming, and they were laughing, and they were running. And, you know, we had a, a great time. In Florida, my Uncle George, uh, he was a retired professor. He had a nice uh, house and a nice swimming pool, you know, fenced in and, and covered in with screens and all that. And, uh, and, and we were able to go swimming in there with my kids and my family. And, uh, and I remember, you know, being able to back then <laughs> take my kids. You know how we did that. We just pick them up and we catapult them. Right? You ever do that? Flash, you know, <laughs> hallelujah, and he loved it. And you know, you know the saying. The next thing is, again, dad, again, do it again. I'm going, <laughs> three kids, you know, <laughs> again, again. It, it's it's a blast. It's it's things that I'll, I'll never forget. Reading bedtime stories at night, you know, uh, and which I was just talking about this. I was preparing for this message a few days ago. I mentioned it to my daughter because I couldn't remember the last line of this book that we used to read almost every night. And, and this book always ends by saying, quote, Now the day is over, I tiptoe down the hall and say goodnight to everyone. Then we all scream, happy dreams to all, you know, amen. That's still in my mind. Those nights, but you know what? It's in their mind too. My daughter Amy's going to be 40 years old this year. And I read this to her, we read this to her when she was just a very young. And we did almost every night. And you know how much it meant to her that to this day she still remembers the lines? 
see four-letter words for kids that are important. One of them is love, L-O-V-E. But that love for little children is spelled P-L-A-Y, play. To them, if you play with them, you love them. That's their language of love. If your children are small, they want you to play with them. They want you to take time to play. Oh, but I'm tired. You don't know what I know you are. Fathers, hallelujah, take time. Play with your children. Amen. Grandfathers, play with your children. I know. I know it's hard. It's hard to get down on the floor. It's hard for me to get back up again. It is. It's not as easy as it used to be when I was younger. And my daughter, my granddaughter, my granddaughter says, Dad, Poppy, I'm Poppy, okay, to all my grandkids, they call me Poppy. Poppy, will you play with me? And I said, <laughs> to Ava, I said, what do you want to play? <laughs> she says, I want to play Barbies. <laughs> and you know what I say? Okay. <laughs> and I take those Barbies right with her, sit on the floor, and you talk about an imagination. And I don't have to do a whole lot. I just have to hold those things, you know. <laughs> I make up things, you know, and, and different voices and talk. And I, I do that. Can you imagine that? <laughs> but you know what? She loves it. Oh, man, you talk. You know, I couldn't get a kiss back from her just for just about, oh, give me some Oh, that's important, too. But, man, playing with her. If my grandson, he's two years old, oh man, he wants to kick a ball, you know, or he wants to roll it on the floor. He's just now turned two, and guess what? I, I'm, I'm trying to stand on my feet, okay? And, and I'm rolling the ball, and says, no, he's sitting down on the ground, right? And he's got his feet apart to roll, have the ball rolled to him. He says, no, Poppy. He says, sit down. <laughs> sit two years old, sit down. Okay. <laughs> I get the chair out from under when she just sit there instead instead of get down. So I sit on the floor and I play ball with him. Why? Because I know that that time is important to him because he spells love and P-L-A-Y. When the kids get older, they spell love T-I-M-E. It's time. It's the time that you spend with them. Mark it down, fathers. Godly fathers who know how to affirm their children will know the secrets of how to unlock their child's potential. You'll love them, show them affection, spend time with them, especially when they get older. I recently read a story in Brother Ken Gurley's book. You know Brother Ken Gurley's pastor, First Church in, in Pearland, Texas. He's got a book out called A Promise Better Than Capistrano. And when Brother Wicket was here, missionary Wicket to Fiji's, uh, he, he told me that Brother Gurley was his, his Bible school teacher at Texas Bible College. And I found out that Brother Gurley reads on a very, a very jam-packed week. He reads four, big, four books a week. And when he has more time, he reads eight books a week. And he, I mean, this guy's a, a, a certified public accountant. The guy's had scholarships in college to do all these. He knows organic chemistry and and all kinds of things. So he had all kinds of scholarships to do stuff. And God calls him to preach. And he reads all kinds of poetry, literature. And, and he, he, in his book uh, on a promise better than Capistrano, he's got this story in there that I picked up on about dads. And this is why I want to, I want to use it. Because he, he, he brings forth the story of, uh, of a man by the name of uh, Charles Francis Adams. And he had a son by the name of Brooke. And, and Charles... Francis Adams was the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain under Abraham Lincoln's administration in the 1860s. And Brooke, you know, when, when, when you're a kid to a diplomat, dad's gone all the time. He's busy. And so every minute is valuable when dad's home. And so when he was eight years old, uh, something special happened in his life, and he wrote it down in his diary. And this is what it was. Quote, went fishing with my father, the most glorious day of my life. Eight years old. The most glorious day of my life. That's how he saw it. So for the next 40 years of his life, he never forgot that day. And then when his father passed away, Brooke inherited all his journals, his dad's journals. 
And he was going through and he said, ah, you know what? I wonder what he said about that day when we went fishing. And he looked up the appropriate day and he read it and it said this, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Imagine how that, that man would feel. He's now in his 40s, 48. But you see, for his, most of his adult life, he valued so much that one day that his dad could spend with him and give him some good quality time. We may not realize it. To us, it may be, it's a waste. But fathers, we need a godly revelation. We need godly wisdom to understand that our presence is so very important in our child's life. And what they value may not be what we value. But if it's done with us, it's invaluable. Fathers, you matter. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. They're liars and they follow the father of lies. Hallelujah. And you know where he's going. Hallelujah. So remember that a child is only two years old for one year. And a toddler doesn't stay a toddler all his life. Just look around. It's important to be a godly father. And I mentioned to you the story of Jordan Peterson. Yeah, great, great stuff. The point is, exceptional fathers will do exceptional things. They will spend time with their child and they, were, they will affirm their children. Can you say praise the Lord? And I'll come to the last part. Exceptional fathers will lead their father, their children, and their family to worship. Godly fathers will lead their families, their children, their wives to worship. Ephesians 6, 4, that's why it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. New Living Translation, and now a word to you fathers. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction approved by the Lord. And I'm again, I'm going to define for you the biological meaning of the word nurture that the King James uses. That's why I like the King James. Even though it's 400 some years old, it's the most clearest, the most specific English language Bible that exists. Period. Amen. It was good enough for Paul and Silas. It was good enough for me. As you know, it didn't exist back then. Hallelujah. But I'm just saying. Hallelujah. So, the word nurture is a biological term. And I usually mention this in baby dedications too. And it's, it, it's a biological term that says it is the total sum environment that contributes to the growth of an organism. So when God says, fathers, don't make your kids angry. Don't provoke them. Don't tease them to the point of anger. Don't harass them. Encourage them. Instruct them. Amen. But, but create also an environment in your home or where they live that contributes to their knowledge and understanding of God. See, we complain about the Ten Commandments being not taught in our schools. But God instructed Israel to post the Ten Commandments on the doorposts as they entered their house. And for fathers, they were instructed to talk about the one true God every morning, every noon, every night, when they walked by the way. Amen. Fathers were to talk to their children four times a day. Not only that, they were ready. They were to be ready to answer every question that the child had concerning what they believe and why they believe it. God said that. And he said to the fathers, tell them to instruct Moses. He didn't say, if your child asks. He says, when your child asks. What meaneth these things for the Passover? What does it mean for us to live this way? What does it mean to lift our hands? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean, amen, that it's the Lord's day? What does it mean to clap our hands and worship the Lord? I have my grandchildren asking me. I'll tell you this much. My daughter, I was taking her to, to camp and she... From the back seat comes up and says, Poppy? I say, yeah. Why do you always wear pants? 
And I told her on her level that she could understand. I like to cover my body. It pleases God. I don't want everybody to see my body. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, okay. Six years old, going on seven in September. Your kids will ask. One other time she asked me about the devil. She asked me about different spiritual things. And, and we talk about it. I used that. But you see, if I wasn't there, I could not be there to answer her question. And who knows where she would go to to try to find an answer. Fathers, grandfathers, grandparents, we are blessed with the great privilege of being able to affirm our children and direct them in the right way. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs, amen, to, to, to train up a child, train up a child in the way it should go. When they grow old, they shall not depart from it. It's not the school's responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. God forbid. It's not so much the church's responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility. And particularly fathers. And if the fathers aren't there, there's a big hole. A big hole for influence. But a father that's an interesting. We have exceptional fathers here. But exceptional father will lead his family to worship. And we see, that where, where did Joshua get that, that, that courage and that gumption to stand in Joshua 24 at the end of his life and proclaim these people after he led them for 40 years in, in, in allotting all the lands to uh, all the tribes? And Joshua said, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Yes. Yes. Amen. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Yes. But as for me and my house... We're serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Where did he get that from? I think he got that from Nun. Joshua, the son of Nun. And he got that from Moses, his spiritual mentor, spiritual father. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 through 13, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister, Joshua. And Moses went up into the mount of God. See, God didn't tell Moses to bring Joshua, but Moses said, Josh, you're coming with me, buddy. You're coming up. Hallelujah. Yes, Joshua stood a little bit at a lower level than what Moses went a little bit further up high, but Joshua was there. He heard and saw a lot, but he waited there. In fact, the Bible says that when Moses came down, Amen. Hallelujah. In Exodus 33, 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again in, into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, a young man, a young man. You hear that, young people? A young man or a young girl? It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. A young person, but Joshua's a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And that tabernacle is not the built where he's talking about the place where God revealed himself and where his presence was manifested. And Joshua said, he didn't say nothing to Moses. Moses went on down. And Joshua just stood there on his face desiring the presence of God. Where did he get that from? Moses. Come on, Joshua. I'm taking you with me. You got to see what I see. You got to experience what I experience. You're coming to church. Hallelujah. God's going to do great things for you. God's going to do great things with you. Hallelujah. Joshua, the son of Nun, 30 times mentioned in the Bible. Praise God. So exceptional fathers will lead their family to worship God. We don't know much about Joshua's father, Nun, but God wanted to make sure that his father is honored and mentioned over and over again. Proverbs 22, 1. I say that because... See, Joshua could not escape his connection to his dad. He was always connected to none. Joshua, son of none. Joshua, son of none. He says, a good name, Proverbs 22.1, is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor, rather than silver and gold. A good name. My son, Jonathan, uh, as you know, he travels now. He works for the government. He's on assignment now, northwest United States. He was in Idaho last week uh, for about a week. And when he arrived there, he, he went to a church in a midweek service. As, his, as the manner of godly people are, they go to church. And he went to church on a midweek service. Out there in the middle of Lewiston, Idaho. He's never been there. 
didn't know beans. He found a UPC church, you know, a Pentecost church. He went to church that Wednesday night. They had him stand and say, hey, what's your name? He said, my name is John. And the pastor says, John what? He said, John Sabulci. Oh, yeah. He says, I know your dad. <laughs> Amen. In fact, the family brother Jerry Holt, one of our retired missionaries from China. Amen. From Hong Kong, actually. Amen. And, and so Jonathan texted him. He says, man, he said, he had, he had, he spoke very highly of you. I'm not patting him on the mic. Don't go. I, there's a reason why I'm mentioning this. Because he said, yeah, I know your dad. You look like him. You talk like him. Amen. Yeah, I know your dad. He's a good man. Hallelujah. And then he, I don't know what else he said. He didn't tell me what, what he said. Amen. But, but that he, it, this is out in, a, in, the, in Idaho panhandle in the middle of nowhere. And then my son says, but, but dad, what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? And, and so, so all I could, could do is just be thankful that I took my family to church all over the world. Wherever we went, we went to church. Here, we drugged them to church. Amen. We brought them to church. And they're, a lover, they're lovers of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we have a lot of great fathers and exceptional fathers. Hallelujah. Amen. Sister Sue and Brother Ron, they brought their children all the time to church. I remember... Brother Scott, I, I, I'm sorry, I refer to this all the time. My brother Scott, it was just a young man. I'm talking about 45 years ago now. And that's, you were a young man back then. Not I me. Mean, we had wooden pews in here, oak, oak pews. And he, they used to sit over there where, where Kyle Emmerich is sitting right now in that area. And, and I know that, that Scotty, on a midweek service, you know, he was always the tired. Well, he needed a lot of sleep. He really did. And that's okay. I mean, boys do. My grandson Michael's the same way. He sleeps the longest at daycare more than anybody else. They have to wake him up. Amen. He's just that kind of guy. But I remember Scotty sleeping, you know, back there, and after Brother Switzer would be teaching a long time, you know. And you know, Brother Switzer could teach a long time. Yes, amen. And so anyway, it was long enough for Scotty to fall asleep under the pew back there. And I remember his daddy picking him up and taking he was lifeless. And Scotty's just laying on his on his shoulders like that. He's carrying him out. I still, it's in my mind. But he was a great dad. He was a godly dad. He brought you to church and every one of you, and Scott and Chris and Wendy, he brought you guys to church and your mom did too. On church night, it was church night. We in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then sometimes when we had youth service on Thursday, you were there on Thursdays and your mom and dad were the youth leaders back then. Exceptional parents. And not just Scotty, you know, but, but there's also Andrea. Andrea has a hard time. She lost her dad on Father's Day. And for many years, she couldn't come to church because it was just broke, break her heart. Andrea and her dad and her brother, Nate Nathaniel, were very closely connected. Very closely connected. I know you loved your dad. You still do. Amen. And, and, and their dad did everything with them. And, you know, they, they, they grew up in church. I mean, Andrea here, all you may see is just a keyboard player. But you know what? When she was just very young and her brother was very young, they pastored churches. Not them, but their parents. Pastored church in Chicago, Illinois. Pastored a home missions church. Then Vicksburg, Tennessee. There's someplace in Missouri. What? Donovan, Missouri. Amen. They, they, were, they were preaching and establishing churches all over. And the, and, and the kids were drugged to church every night. And now they've been addicted ever since. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's godly affirmation. It's dragging your kids to church. Hey, it's a church day. We're going to go to the house of God. We're going to worship God. Because it's important. And we did that in Hungary too. When, when we didn't have a church yet in Budapest, we had church in our home. Jonathan got the Holy Ghost in our living room in a prayer meeting one night, speaking in tongues, and just like Amber did last night in the hospitality room. Amen. That place was anointed. You go in there today, the Holy Ghost is there. You can get the Holy Ghost right there just as well right here at the altar. Praise God. Amen. But, you know, when, when Jonathan sent me this text about I do, I said, thank God. Thank God that I have lived right so that my reputation is one that my son could be proud of. 
that his name could be something that would add value to him and a blessing to him. It wasn't like somebody said, oh, I know you did. Yeah. You know? I'm thankful. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not attributing it to myself. It's like Paul said, there's nothing good in me except the Holy Ghost. There's nothing good in me but God working through me. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about. Praise God. And so I tried to do the same thing. Praise God. So exceptional fathers will do three things. They will give affirmation to their children. They'll invest their time into their children willingly. And finally, they will lead their family in worship. Would you stand with me? Thank you for your patience. Thank you for this special message that I put my heart in. And on this beautiful Sunday morning, again, I said there, there are a lot of fathers here, exceptional fathers. I can talk about Brother Corey and Sister Ivy, and I can talk to talk about Brother Chuck back. Hallelujah. The reason that we have that bass player here and the drummer, and the brother. What happened to Brian? Did he take Daniel out? No? Because he's coming. Praise the Lord. You know, that guy, you know, Mr. what the bruiser. <laughs> bruiser. Hallelujah. Brother Bruiser. He's, I got pictures of when his dad, Brother Chuck, was playing the drums back here. And, and, and Brian was a, a strong-willed child. And we all know that. Amen. Praise God. He was a strong child. And so dad had to always corral him because Sister Carol, she had Missy, and the Melissa. Melissa was a lot more compliant, I think. <clears throat> At least as far as what I know. But I know with Brian, a lot of times, Brian would act up and he'd have to bring Brian up here and he'd be sitting, you know, like this, you know, mad and grumpy. Amen. But, but Chuck would keep an eye on him and he would tell him what to do. But he brought him to church. They brought them to church on. And here he is. Yeah, he's a dentist now. But he's a worshiping dentist. He's a godly dentist. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And you know what? He would a long time. But then God gave him a wife. And his wife also grew up in church. Her parents, Hannah's parents, drug her to church. And she's addicted too. And she's here. They're always here at church. Amen. Sickness or whatever. Amen. Yeah, they stay home for sickness. In fact, you're sick, stay home. Amen. Keep it to yourself. But godly fathers, exceptional fathers, will use their time wisely, invested in their family, and they will affirm. Hallelujah. I just want to say quickly a word for those who perhaps didn't have the kind of father that maybe some of these had. Brother Mike Poole. No, oh, I can go down the line. Brother Jack and Lorraine. Oh, there's so many that are here today, even grandkids of the Frazies, Danny and so on, his wife. There's a blessing when you worship God. So for those exceptional fathers that are here, understand that you're important. And I commend you for being here. And I commend you for being an exceptional father. I mentioned to you that my father was not here for me to lead me in the ways of the Lord. But I did have a spiritual father. When I gave my heart to God, I was 22. I was in the Air Force. I wanted to make it a career. Never, never had it happen that way because God changed my direction. I went to a dental appointment. Again, dentist into the Air Force and they were, he was a technician to clean my teeth and there's a tall black African American brother for James Cornish and he's working on me and he said hey have you ever been baptized in Jesus name and I said uh uh <laughs> so like I say hey, he had a captive audience he did I mean I, I couldn't get up and run out of there he invited me to church with Brother Kilgore's, 1,200 plus people. Never been to a Pentecostal church in my life. Didn't know anything about I didn't know my Bible. I didn't know anything. He invited me to church. 
and I got saved. I got baptized in Jesus' name, August 24th, 1975, filled with the Holy Ghost two weeks later. And then my, my, my Air Force facility, the base was shutting down. And guess what? The Lord performed a miracle. For six months, the last six months of the base being open in that medical clinic, they had to have three people present. A medic for general medicine, a flight surgeon's office, aeromedical specialist, which was me, and a dental technician, a dental representative, dental clinic rep. That was me. Or that, that was Brother Cornish. So I was aeromedical specialist, Brother Cornish was dental, another guy was gentleman, three of us. And we spent 24-hour shifts every third day. And for 24 hours every third day, we had basically no business because the, sh- the base was shutting down. People were being shipped out. We just stay there for backup just in case. And guess what we did for those 24 hours, Brother Mike? Brother Cornish, my spiritual mentor, got me my, I still got that first Bible. I learned from him how to get up out of bed. First thing he did every morning, get on his knees and pray. From him I learned and watched him that he took his food and he prayed and he blessed it. I learned those things from my spiritual father. He went to church regularly, took his family. He became a preacher later on. And here I am walking in his footsteps of what my spiritual mentor did for me. Maybe you didn't have that kind of a father in your life. But when we split apart and I came here, Brother Switzer became my pastor. The sister Switzer, the pastor's wife. They became so precious and so dear to my life. I needed them and I still need her. Amen. I still look to her with great admiration and respect. But... Besides my earthly pastors, I'll tell you this. I found that I have a heavenly father. And you here today, if you've not had that kind of father that I'm talking about, a godly father, an exceptional father, understand that your God is not like your earthly father. He is special. Hallelujah. He is a great God. David said this in Psalm 27.10, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Understand that the Lord, God Almighty, who made heaven and earth, is your father. One of the names for Jesus prophesied by Isaiah is the everlasting father. That's who Jesus is. He is the everlasting father, the mighty God. Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. Why? Because you've got a Father up there that cares for you, loves you more than any earthly father ever could. And if you are missing that encouragement, that affirmation, look to the Word of God. Because I'm telling you, He can encourage you, bless you, You can feel that love from him directly and it can help you to become a better father than you've ever been before. You know where I learned my fatherhood from? From him. You know how I learned to be a better husband than I was the first year of our marriage? I learned it from right here, from him. Changed my marriage, changed my life, changed our family, amen, just by this guideline that God had written for us. Remember, accept the Lord, build a house. The labor in vain that build it. God's an exceptional father, and he's here for you. I'd like all of our fathers to come down. Would, would you just, just honor me for just a moment and, and just honor my request and just come to the front? I want to pray for you and with you, okay? I just want to pray for all the fathers, fathers-to-be. Kyle, you're one of them. Well, you're gonna, you'll be on the, come on down. Amen. Hallelujah. We don't, we don't need you on the drums right now. Hallelujah. He's a father. They're expecting December the 6th. Hallelujah. Woo! Another baby to dedicate to. Oh, hallelujah. I'm excited. I love kids. Thank you, Jesus. Look at all these men, all these fathers. You're so important. You're so important. Foster parents, godparents. 
grandfathers. Kurt, I almost didn't recognize you. Hallelujah. God bless you. So glad you're here. I miss, I miss the traditions. Hallelujah. You're precious. You're special. And God loves you. And he honors you. He thinks that you're one of the most important people in the child's life. Amen. When we're done, I would like you to know that we have, for every one of you, a bunt cake of different flavors. Something to eat. You know, men like to eat. And uh, hallelujah. Women like to do something else. Men think of food. Food, food, hallelujah. So we, we, we got some bun cakes for you. So don't leave when we're done praying, okay? Because we have to have a couple of men bring that table up there. You're going to have bags and different flavors of bun cakes to take with you. We want to just bless you with just a little something. And maybe take it and bless it. Maybe the Lord will multiply it. We don't know. Praise God. We just bow your head with me right where you are. I want to pray a prayer of blessings. Jesus, Almighty God, I thank you for each and every one of these fathers that are here. They're special, Lord. They're special to you. You are the one who created fathers. You are the very first father, the father of this entire world and creation into existence. Fathers have that very important role in creating new life. And without fathers, there is no life. And God, we pray that you would bless these very important men. Bless them, Lord, with a vision and understanding of who you are and who they are in your sight. How important they are and how that their relationship with their children can mold a life for the worse or for the better. God, I pray that you would empower them and do them with godly wisdom. That you would give them strength to stand against the tide of evil that we find in this generation. Help them to stand tall and strong and resist the devil and that he would flee from them. We know that for a fact. So God, I pray that you would bless them. Keep them in your hand. Give them strength. Help them never to faint in their minds. Help them to lift up holy hands in worship without fear, without doubting, and without wrath too, Lord. Help them, Lord, to contain their anger, to control their emotions and their tempers. Help them, Lord, oh God, to use their temper for correction and praise for the good and not for destruction. Bless them, Lord. Keep them in your hand. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord as a sign of worship to God? Amen. Come on, worship the Lord. Praise Him. Good example for your children. And I want the men to bring that table in. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want you, the men, to greet one another, greet each other, and tell them something good about the person next to you. Okay? Tell them something good. Think of something good. Tell them you're a handsome-looking man. Hallelujah. Don't slap me now. Amen. You're looking good. Amen. You're strong. You're young. Hallelujah. Amen. Say something good to your neighbor. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.